Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Hello, church family. Hope you're ready for the Word of God after that extraordinary worship and a time in communion. Today we're continuing our theme on prayer. We're going to talk about Daniel's identificational prayer of repentance. We're going to go through Daniel chapter 9. And this sounds familiar because a few weeks ago we talked about Nehemiah's identificational prayer of repentance. They're both very similar. And so this is going to be a summary narrative by the prophet Daniel, who identified with the sin and rebellion of his people. And you see how he used the scriptures to believe it was time for them to return to their land. So what is my objective today? To motivate you to understand the times and seasons through understanding the scriptures and by observing what's going on in culture. Some key questions to ask ourselves are, do I look to the Word for answers or just to the news? Do I know the promises of God I could stand on, or do I base everything on my own merit? When we want to look at some of the historical background, Daniel was one of the later Jews exiled uh, to Babylon. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah, who is older than him, Ezekiel, who was a priest who was exiled, and he preceded the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, who returned under the Persian king Cyrus to rebuild the altar and the temple. And so when we read Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Haggai, Zechariah, then Ezra, uh, Esther, and Nehemiah, we see how all of it works chronologically together, and it gives us a great handle on the biblical narrative in the Old Testament, especially the post-exilic narrative. And so we're going to start with Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. It says, In the first year of the reign of the king, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet must come to pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So it's amazing. He examined the scriptures of an older contemporary named Jeremiah for perspective related to the times and the seasons he was living in. Instead of just going by the circumstances of his world and uh, just thinking, okay, we're stuck here, we're doomed here forever, he read the prophecy of a contemporary that he probably even knew. And he was able to determine the future through the scriptures. Verse 3, after he read these scriptures that showed that the exile in Babylon was only supposed to last no more than 70 years, it says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And so... This is also important because even though Jeremiah had a prophetic word that the exile would last approximately 70 years, sometimes we don't know if 70 is a symbolic number, so it's an approximation, whatever 
the Bible gives numbers. Many times it's a metaphor, uh, but it was an approximation of 70 years uh, between Babylon and the Persian exile before they started coming back to build the temple and rebuild the wall. Um, but in spite of the fact that Jeremiah prophesied that, and Jeremiah was a tried and true prophet, Daniel didn't think that the prophecy was automatic. He knew he had to pray and fast and plead uh, because all prophecy uh, is conditional upon obedience to the promises of God. At least most of the prophecies that are even given today are conditional upon people walking in obedience to the Lord. A lot of times people will get a prophetic word and they'll only listen to the part of blessing, but they won't listen to the part that has to do with the conditional aspect based on their obedience. That's why it's important to record prophetic words so that those given the prophecy don't look bad when it's reported out of context. And uh, verse 4 he goes on to say, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And so it says, I, Daniel, made a confession. That means he spoke out loud, related to what? He said, the God who keeps covenant. He confessed that God kept covenant. He confessed that God doesn't lie, that God keeps his word, keeps his promises that he makes uh, to his people. And, uh, and so we see how Daniel had to speak out loud what God already said, reminded God of his word as I've spoken about in the past. We could even take scripture and bring it out, the promises of God and remind God as it tells us to do in Isaiah 43 and other places. And so since these covenant promises are based conditionally upon the obedience of God's people, especially the old covenant, Daniel, similar to Nehemiah, engaged in identificational repentance by, confessed, by confessing the sin of the nation, even though there's no reference in the Bible of Daniel breaking covenant with the Lord. So he went on to say in verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong. Notice Daniel said, we have sinned, not I have sinned or not they have sinned. He so identified with God's people that he took upon himself their sin, which is a type of Christ who took upon the sins of the world, even though he himself was without sin. Another thing to note here is Daniel wasn't engaged in uncovering and accusing God's people in their sin, but he identified with them and repented with them in their place. We could stand in the place of others. This passage shows that if God doesn't destroy them in the land, Ezekiel 22.30 says if God found just one man, he wouldn't have destroyed the land, one man to stand in the gap. So there are two kinds of people in the world. Those with the ministry of intercession, which are like Christ. Hebrews 7.25, it tells us about Jesus that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Or we could be like Satan, who is called... In Revelation 12, 11, the accuser of the brethren, the one who uncovers us the way Noah's son, uh, Ham, uncovered Noah in Genesis chapter 9, I think in verse 27 on. So Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So you have two kinds of people in the world and even in the church, those who make intercession and those who uncover gossip, slander, and uncover other people. And you can figure out which one is of God and which one is of the devil. He goes on to pray in chapter 9, verse 6. 
We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. So God held them, and he also holds us accountable to know the scriptures of the prophets. Notice he said, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name. And he said, to our kings and our princes and our fathers, to all the leaders. And so even though he listened to the prophets, he still had to repent for the kings and leaders who didn't listen to the prophets. Um, Jesus said in Luke 16 that if we don't listen to the teachings of the law and the prophets, we won't even pay attention to God if he rises the dead or raises the dead. And I've also found that uh, a lot of times people are awed by signs and wonders, but if they don't get in the word of God, they'll need another miracle every other week to stay in the faith. Only the word of God can sustain us. And Jesus said, if they don't believe the Lord and the prophets, they won't even believe even if someone is raised from the dead. And that's still true today. Verse 7, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are with us near and far away in all the lands which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. Again, he talks about God's character. He reminds God of his character, especially his righteousness and his faithfulness. And based on his righteousness, he will scatter people who don't follow him. Um, it tells us in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, say to the righteous, it will be well with you because you'll eat of the fruit of your doings. But woe to the wicked, because you will also eat of the fruit of your doings. And so because of God's righteousness, there will be wrath. There will be punishment. There will be consequences for the sins of this nation. But we have to stand in the gap so that there is a revival in the church and an awakening in the country that will take away the need for judgment because people's lives will be turned around and God will forgive them as they receive Christ. So Daniel knew God's character. He reminded him of his righteousness. He continues on, to you, O Lord, belongs, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame. So you see the contrast. Uh, in verse 9, he says, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. But then about the nation of Israel says, to us belong open shame. Uh, and so we see the huge divide between humanity and God. And then he goes on to quote parts of Deuteronomy 28. He says, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord by walking in his laws, which are set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your Lord, law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, which is why God scattered them. Verse 11 and 12, and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, that's in Deuteronomy 28, the servant of the Lord has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his word, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who rule us by bringing upon us a great calamity. So God's word is confirmed by judgment, not just by revival and blessing, not just by healing, but by strong correction and by allowing calamities to come on a nation. And so here Daniel's quoting Deuteronomy 28, but it's interesting, first before he quotes Deuteronomy 28, 
he kind of reminds God first of his mercy. He says, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. And then he said, and the curse and the oath that is written in the law of Moses has been poured out upon us. So he reminds God that in spite of the fact that God's people have disobeyed the law and curses are justly put upon them according to Deuteronomy 28, which is in the law of Moses, he's still merciful. And because it had Daniel is believing God to turn away from bringing out fully the consequences because it had disobedience. Deuteronomy 28 recites the blessings, the first 14 verses of obeying God and his moral law. And then after verse 15, uh, horrible, horrific, uh, traumatic consequences for disobeying God as a nation. Uh, I think it goes to maybe verse 64 or something like that. So you have to read the first half of Deuteronomy 28 for the blessings, then the second part of Deuteronomy 28 for the curses. And if we were to read Deuteronomy 28 today, we will understand why so much wrath has been poured out upon this country. I don't think it's an accident, all these natural disasters and fires and famines. Um, even uh, diseases that people have never heard of are coming out, pestilence, confusion, that's all part of Deuteronomy 28. Rampant disease uh, all come because of denying God's moral law. And we're talking about from a national perspective. So even though the U.S. is not a Christian nation, it has enough Christians in it to bear witness to it of the truth to influence the nation towards the laws of God, which is why God is holding the USA accountable. There's been enough Bible preaching, gospel preaching to hold our nation accountable, even though we never have been and never will be fully a Christian nation with all Christians in government. But there's enough in scripture to show that God holds all the nations um, accountable, not just a theocracy of Israel in the Old Testament, all we have to do is read Amos chapters 1 and 2. We see how God held different countries accountable to his natural law. We see the prophecies of Jeremiah and Isaiah against the Gentile nations. Uh, Isaiah chapter 14 to 19. Uh, Jeremiah, the last uh, eight chapters has to do with prophecies against the nations. And then even Psalm 2 which shows that God holds all political leaders and rulers accountable to Jesus as king. So there's enough natural law intuitively placed inside of every human being that there's no one without an excuse when we violate the Ten Commandments. All nations are accountable to obey God's natural law, which we find is in at least five of the Ten Commandments uh, very implicitly, like you shall not kill, shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, bear false witness, are all embedded in every religion and culture of humanity. The first few can be interpreted differently by different religions, but the last uh, five, actually including honoring father and mother, well, those are so intuitively placed into humanity, even the desire for God, which if fully walked out, would get us to the first commandment of you shall have no other gods before me because Jeremiah 29 says we search for God with all of our heart we'll find them even if we've never heard the gospel we're accountable to God 
through nature. It tells us in Romans 1 and Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. There's enough in nature, there's enough in our conscience, there's enough in the natural or common law that God has intuitively placed in us to show us that we're guilty and that we need to seek God, even if we've never heard the gospel. There's even more woe to those who have heard the gospel and who continue to despise it and disobey God. And verse 13, uh, he recites again, Deuteronomy 28, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not still entreated the favor of the Lord by turning from our sin, gaining insight by your truth. Even today we see that even in spite of COVID, even all the civil unrest, even all the confusion, even with the economic collapse, people are still not turning to God. Uh, there's little pieces of it here and there. By and large, the church in general, except for the remnant church, is not fasting and praying and calling out to God for this nation. In spite of all the calamity, we still see people going about their way, hoping it will go back to normal. It's never going to go back to normal. If there ever is a normal, I don't know about it. I think that we are forever scarred, forever changed. And if we don't seek God now, in light of everything going on, I don't know what it will take. Perhaps some people are past the point of no return because their hearts have so hardened against God, not even the present calamity can turn them back. I pray it's not you or anybody hearing the sound of my voice on this online service, but that all of us repent and seek God and give our life to Christ. Especially the remnant church needs to trust God and turn these present challenges into an opportunity so our light will shine even more so we could propagate the gospel and expand the kingdom now in a greater way than we've ever seen before. And as we begin to wrap up this message, verse 17 and 19, Daniel ends it by, says, by saying, Now therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear, forgive, pay attention and act. Delay not for your sake, O oh God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So he's asking God to shine his face upon the sanctuary, even though the sanctuary was desolate, was destroyed by Babylon. So he's talking about the location of the sanctuary, which had maybe part of the foundation still left. And we see some incredible principles here. We see that he was praying to God for the sake of God. In other words, his prayer was not primarily for the sake of his people or for himself, but for God's kingdom, for God's glory. He knew that the answer was God shining his face upon his sanctuary. In the New Testament, we are God's sanctuary. We need God's face, not just his hand. We need to know God's ways, not just his works. We need to have fellowship with God and know God, not just know about God. And so that should be our prayer, that he shines his face upon us, that we have open fellowship, that we become his friends, and we become intimately knowledgeable of God experientially, not just intellectually. And so we need God's love and favor and presence to be with his church. That's what we have to pray for. 
that will revive us in these days of calamity. And then finally, he said, it is not because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. He reminded God of his mercy. In the New Testament, God hears our prayers, not because we're good, not because we're righteous, but because of the blood of Jesus. We can come boldly through the gates, boldly into the most holy place, it tells us in Hebrews 10, 19, by the blood of Jesus Christ. We could come before that throne of mercy and grace. Why don't you do that? Be by his blood, not by your goodness. You could pray, you could seek God. And if you don't know the Lord, you could be saved. And so some lessons we learned today in this text, it's important for us to know what's going on in the world, not be emotionally detached from the church or society. We need to be aware. That's why Daniel was motivated to pray. As a prime minister, he knew what was going on politically and culturally as well. It is also important for us not to lose faith and live in fear, but understand that God is still on the throne. We see that throughout the whole book of Daniel. In spite of his judgments, he's on the throne, and he only corrects those he loves. Another lesson we learn is that the church is not to stand idly by because God is in control, but we ought to use our faith and believe God to move in spite of the challenges. Last but not least, it's time for us as the remnant church to stand in the place of the whole body of Christ and for the sake of God's kingdom purposes for the nations of the earth. Can we count on you to pray, to seek God, to go after God now? This is a time of fasting and prayer. Before the election, we want to believe God for the greatest awakening, revival in the church, awakening society that we've ever seen. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is a perfect time to get to know God because ultimately there is a judgment. The Bible says it is appointed for men to die once and after that to face judgment. That's in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 25. And I pray you don't stand before God in your sins. I pray you stand before God covered by the blood of Christ with the robes of righteousness on, not because you're good, but because he died for you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means he's God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. My friend, if that's you, if you want to know Christ, you can pray and ask him in your life right now. Matter of fact, why don't you do that? Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. Father, even though I'm a sinner, Jesus is my Savior. He's my Lord. Come in my life, Jesus. Take me, I'm yours. Wash all my sins away with your blood. Give me the power of your Spirit, and I'll follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision, now it's time for you to become a disciple, to start your journey towards discipleship. We have first principles classes. We have other things that we do during the week that will help disciple you. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. He's looking for disciples, not just people who make emotional decisions and then don't fall through. Please connect with us. Tell us that you gave your life to Christ so we can walk you through your next steps. This is Joseph Matera signing off. God bless you. Mm -hmm.
we trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.